Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Brian today on Real Faith, uh, sorry, Faith FM. <laughs> How are you going today? I'm going all right. Yourself, Robbie? I'm doing fantastic. It's nice to be back in the studio, and it's nice to have you here with me, my friend. And uh, you've been on the radio station before with me, I think once before, yeah? Yeah, just last year, actually, at the close. That's right. So super excited to have you back. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for coming to help us out here. Pleasure to be here. As we're uh, trying to find ourselves a new permanent co-host. So if you guys know of anybody, you know, feel free to send you your recommendations. But uh, man, how wet is it outside today? Goodness, it's heaps and buckets. It's pouring. <laughs> heaps and buckets. I love it. I love it. Okay, here's a question for you, man. What What is like your favorite thing about the rain, and what's your least favorite thing about the rain? Go rapid fire. Uh, favorite thing is probably the fact that it's like cool and wet, and it's just so often hot and dry here. Least favorite thing is when you're way too cold and wet and you can't get dry. <laughs> so your favorite thing leads to your least favorite thing. Pretty that much. sounds like a, a, a terrible dilemma. I don't know what to do about that. Um, I'm, I think my favorite thing about rainy days is... Um, oh, I really like surfing in the rain when you can feel the rain falling on your back while you're in the ocean. That's a pretty cool thing. But I think my favorite thing about rain is actually just before when the, when the rain's just getting started and you get that smell. Oh, yeah. Right? That smell's called petrichor, I found out. I've tried oh, to remember good. it for years. It's a hard word. Petrichor. But that, that smell that you get at the start of rain or just, just as the rain's starting to fall, that kind of real earthy smell that gets up in your nostrils and you just know the rain's coming. It's coming. <laughs> I love that. Least favorite thing about the rain? Um, I grew up in Southern California. We have like three to six days of rain a year, I reckon. Not and much. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved rainy days because there were like three of them. So they were a real unique change of pace and you could sit at home and read a book or something. But now I just, I just want to go outside in the sunshine and be dry. So that's probably my <laughs> least favorite thing about the rain is, is sticking around for too long. But it's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's keeping the earth green. And uh, hopefully you guys are all safe out there as you drive. And super excited about our show today. We are starting a new series. And that series is going to be called... In the beginning. And we're going to be looking at, over the next number of weeks, probably over the next two months realistically, looking at the first 11 chapters or so of Genesis and talking about the introduction of the story of humanity in the Bible. So we're going to be looking at that and learning some things from that space. So super excited about that. We're starting off today with uh, Genesis chapter 1, the creation narrative, and we're going to learn some exciting things from that. Lots of cool things to draw from the story. In our Testify segment, we're going to be hearing some answered prayers from our good friend Sharissa Tarosian, and it's going to be a grand old time. So hang on to your hats and glasses, my friends, and uh, stick around for us. We're going to be right back after this song, and this is Steve Bell, the home of our God. Let my eyes see your glory, Lord. My heart is awash with glory. Glad in the heart of your servant, for you are the light of the Where sorrow, death, and pain 
To Real Faith with Robbie and Brian. You're listening to Real Faith. I keep doing that. You're listening to Faith FM. <laughs> one day, one of these days, you'd think after almost a year of doing radio shows that I'd, I'd have figured out the name of the station on Faith FM. And uh, just before we get into our weird and wonderful world fun facts segment of the show, I just wanted to do a shameless plug. Seeing as we're talking about the creation story today, we're going to be giving a free giveaway of a DVD for our first caller in for our question of the week. So if you have a question about God, the Bible, creation, etc., we would love to hear from you. You can send those in at any time today during the show by calling in 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. And the first caller in today is going to receive a free DVD called Darwin's Dilemma, which goes through the Cambrian explosion and talks about how these this explosion of fossils in the fossil record actually points towards a creator rather than evolutionary principles. So if you'd like to get your hands on that and learn more about that, feel free to call in at any time today for our show and send in your first, or sorry, your questions. We'd love to hear from you. All right, Brian, what do you have for us today? Today I'm actually going to share a little bit of a story and something that uh, recently has been impactful for me. Um, Impactful to the point that I actually went to a chiropractor Mm. just this morning, actually. The old bone crackers. That's what the Egyptian name for chiropractor was. Yeah, so, so it's, it's been around a really long time. <laughs> it has, it has. Yeah, and um, I've, I had never been to one, but I've, of late I've been, I've been going. Um, and you're asking, you know, what's a young guy like you going to a chiropractor? Yeah, that's right, Brian. What's a young guy like you going to a chiropractor for? What have you done? Yeah, well, no actual accident, but for the past like three years, I've had this compulsion to turn my head right 
because of some of the <laughs> some of the muscles and stuff in my neck. It's leaning that way. Oh, it might be like right twist, now. twisting. Like I get. Yeah. 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 So, so it, it's just got this tension in the muscles and it, it's this compulsion to turn my head right. And so after three years and, and, and dealing with some of the pain and, and the issues with that, I eventually went into a chiropractor. And, um, man, three years is a long time to deal with some difficult circumstances before getting it checked out, man. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and I think it was because it was so slow. Maybe the fun fact for everyone today is to, uh, take care of your problems. Within within at least three years of when they surface, yeah, go get a health checkup. I do recommend that. I do recommend that. So I had I had um, I'm a nursing student, and so I've got some degree of medical knowledge as well. And so it was interesting to have another conversation with a medical professional about my neck and go into depth about certain things. And um, first off, I walked in there going, "What's wrong with me?" And the Cairo was able to tell me, "Hey, um, from after this long conversation with it, it seems like your neck has." And uh, has muscles in it that your mind isn't triggering. It's not connecting with. So they're not firing. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's particularly interesting because it's often believed by many people, including one of my nursing professors in my very first year. Um, you know, and and people believed for a long time um, in the previous century, etc., that there was no such thing as neuroplasticity. Which is so, the fact for today. So what's neuroplasticity? Define that for us. Essentially, they believed that these neurons couldn't reconnect. If you lose a brain cell, it's gone. Uh, like after childhood, you're, it, it's over. You're not, an old dog can't learn new tricks. Okay, so neuroplasticity is the idea that the brain can continue to change throughout life. It can learn. It's plastic, not, not rigid, but plastic is inflexible. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Tell us more. Yeah, so up until a long time, uh, up until recently rather, um, it was believed that that you only had a certain time up until your age and then you couldn't go any farther. But recent research has actually shown that the brain and, and your nerves and your spinal cords is incredible. They can reconnect and through use you have this increase of your myelination sheath, which just increases essentially like uh, the flow of information from one part to another. And you can actually reestablish these connections that were previously lost. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. And so this Cairo goes, hey, Brian, you've got these muscles that aren't triggering. I'm going to teach your brain how to move these muscles so that you don't have this neck pain anymore. Wow. Isn't that amazing that God has created us in such a way that the body and, and the mind can relearn things that have been disconnected, can reform connections? That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it really it really ties in a spiritual thought in my head because in two ways, um, you know, I just I, it comes to mind that you know, behold, I, I make all things new. You know, God God wants us to be in an optimal way of life, and you know, we He takes us as broken and wretched people. And even in not just our emotional or mental health, but even in our physical anatomy, he's built a design in the system that's designed to be restored and be made better. Mm, that's awesome. Oh, I dig that. That's super cool. I love that because it's amazing because it means that not only in, in the spiritual realm can re can, can restoration begin to take place, but it can actually take place in the real physical realm. And I, I suppose when you look at Jesus's ministry, you see him using his ability to bring healing to a human person, to a, you know, a physical body, to give evidence that he is able to bring spiritual restoration. Mm. And the same is true today. Like God has given us so many things to help us to be able to live well and to live healthy and for our bodies to do healing because it's, 
It's not the medication that actually heals you. It's your body's response to medication, your body healing itself, which is amazing that God has made us that way. Super cool. Thanks so much for sharing, Brian. We'll be back after this song. This is The Teachers, and the song is called Run. trouble at bay When the world seems full of chaos and dismay I run to you You're my saving all my grace Cause I run to you in all my desperation I run to you when there seems no other way
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Brian. You're listening to Faith FM, and we're about to do our Testify segment. But just before we do, just another plug for our question of the week. We love to hear from you guys, and we'd love to have some questions come in from you today that we can answer later in our show. And uh, the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of Darwin's Dilemma, a DVD outlining and explaining what's going on with the fossil record and the Cambrian explosion. And does this point towards evolutionary process, or does it in fact actually point towards towards a creative process by God. So we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to call in, you can do so at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. And today we've got uh, our good friend Sharissa Tarosi. Are you there, Sharissa? Yes, I am here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Super excited to have you on the show today. Um, so tell us just quickly a little bit about yourself, Sharissa, for those that don't know you. Sure. So I'm married to the minister of the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Newcastle, and yeah. I work in uh, prayer ministry So and, and sharing the gospel for the North New South Wales Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Awesome. Super excited to have you on. And uh, yeah, I believe you're going to be telling us some, some stories of answered prayer today. Is that correct? Well, I have one really exciting testimony that I thought I could share. Oh, please do. We'd love to hear it. All right. So I was really excited to hear this testimony from my mom, actually, and it happened just two weeks ago. My former church in Sydney has uh, a church a building right on the train line there in Sydney, and they have an old rickety sign. It's rusted. It's not a digital sign, so when you want to change the messages on the sign, someone has to go and do it. And it's had it for years, and for years it's been the subject of um, conversation in the church. You know, maybe we should get a new sign, a better-looking sign, a fancy sign. But anyway, two weeks ago, the uh, one of the elders in the church, he put a Bible verse on the sign, and I'll just read it. It's Psalm 20, verse 4, and it says this, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. That was the Bible verse that he put on the sign. Mm. And uh, just so happened, it was a Saturday morning there in Sydney two weeks ago, and this lady walking on the street, she, she walks past the church, she stops, she looks up at that sign, and she reads that Bible verse, May He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. And when she read that, it's like the Word of God just touched her heart and she started to cry. And wow. there were some people entering the church that morning because they were coming to the worship service on the Saturday morning. And uh, as they were heading into the church, you know, it was just providential timing, God's timing. They were able to stop and, and put an arm around her and comfort her. And they invited her to come into the church and they heard her story. And basically the burden on her heart is she's got a teenage daughter who's going through just some terrible things. And that's her burden. And so she was able to share it with the ladies at the church. And uh, they invited her to stay. And then one of them put it directly to her, would you like to study the Bible? And she said yes. And mm. uh, that following Friday night, uh, she, well, the church invited her to bring her family and her daughter to come and hear uh, the new pastor's testimony. He has an amazing testimony. Maybe we can get it on Faith FM sometime. Um, it's from Gangs to God. That was the title of his testimony. And he shared his story. And not only did this lady come, but she brought her husband and her daughter, who, who she's been longing to, to have a better life. She brought them to the church, and the daughter was really touched by the message. So 
I, when I heard that story, I just thought, isn't that amazing? Like, God's timing is so perfect. And of all things, the sign, that rusty old sign that the church had been thinking that they would change for years, um, that was what God used to reach her and to help her find people who can love her to know more about Jesus and his love for them. And uh, that's what I wanted to share. And not only that, but just to highlight just the, the timing of this is that this that same signboard is actually taken down because the church has got a new one. And, and so they're getting a new one right now. So there's no church signboard there right now. So had she walked past and looked up, you know, two weeks later, it wouldn't have been the same. But it was that timing at that moment that God touched her heart. And she, yeah, she's now um, having Bible studies and wanting to know more about the Lord. So I'm just thrilled with that. And I thought it'd be encouraging for all of us and our listeners to be reminded that, you know, sometimes the things that just happen, uh, we might think they're just by chance. But actually, sometimes a coincidence is when God performs a miracle and decides to remain anonymous. And it was that, was that providential timing of God that he had her there at that moment. And it was, yeah, that's what I wanted to share. I just want to praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Thank you so much for sharing, Ooh. Sarissa. I love, I love what you're saying there. Just, it's amazing how God works. You know, sometimes it seems that God is not at work and we're wondering why hasn't this happened yet or why hasn't that happened yet? And sometimes the reason that God hasn't answered our prayers the way we think they should be answered just yet is because He's, He's using that, that delay we might think or so to speak to actually answer someone else's prayers and to bring them in. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing, Sharissa. It's so awesome to hear from you. And, um, yeah, may God continue to bless you and use you in your ministry. And, uh, we pray that God will help you to encourage others to continue delving into prayer and that we can see a great revival happen in Australia. Thank you so much, Sharissa. God bless you. This is Mercy Me, Word of God Speak.
finding myself at a loss for words and the funny thing is it's okay make sure you tune into the breakfast show for giveaways deep bible discussions magnificent music and noteworthy news all that and much more every weekday morning on faith fm Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Happy Hearts is a free community crush program for kids aged one to five, designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 to 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts, free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. In the beginning, the Lord made the earth, the heavens, the hills, and the seas. Then he created the sun and the stars, the land, the fruit, the trees. He made all creatures that live in the earth and taught them to live by His The Lord sanctified the seventh day for man. Molded in the image of his maker, man shall have dominion over Because we're nothing more than human Sometimes we stumble Sometimes we fall In the beginning The world was so bright Perfection was there for all
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Brian. You are listening to Faith FM, God at that time. And uh, just before we get into our Bible study segment for the day, just want to do another plug that you can call in with your spiritual questions. We would absolutely love to hear from you, whether you've got questions about God or spirituality, the Bible, any of those things, anything that comes out of the study today, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll get to answering those at our question of the week portion at the end of the show. And our first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a DVD called Darwin's Dilemma, which goes through exploring the fossil record and how that either gives evidence for evolution or evidence for God and goes through that debate. Uh, very informational and great to get your hands on. So call in with your questions. No question is too big or too small to win that DVD. So you can call in at 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text in at 491 491- 064 Awesome. Nice work, Brian. All right, so we're going to get into our Bible study, and we are going to open up to the first book of the Old Testament, the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we're going to be starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, so the very first place that you find in Scripture. And just before we get into it, we're going to have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you have given us evidence for who you are in Scripture, that you have revealed yourself. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we open your word and that you would speak the truth to us and that it would empower us to go forth into this world with understanding, with clarity, and knowing that we are loved by a God who loves us and uh, to make a difference in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Brian, if you could read for us verse 1 and 2. 1 and 2 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, there are so many things that could be said about this passage. And uh, the first thing that I think is amazing is, let's, let's, let's break it down. What are the first three words? In the beginning. I love this. So without any, any, any question... Moses, as he's authoring this book, he's writing down and he's, he's providing this evidence inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to clarify something in the beginning, right back at the beginning. This is the story. And I want to note a couple of things. Number one, what does the next word say? God. God. So in the beginning, God. And I love this because what, what does this tell us? What do you reckon? Well... I see that it's at the very, 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 like the beginning, of the begin- it's, it's the beginning, but yet God was there before. Mm. I love that. In the beginning, the, the, the creation of time itself is superseded or preceded by the existence of God. I love this. This is so profound. And what's really cool, we're going to do a little bit of geeky Hebrew for you now. Um, hopefully it won't get too geeky, but hopefully it'll be helpful and insightful for some. The word that's used there for God is a very interesting word. There are words, there are all sorts of words that are used for God, especially throughout Scripture. But in, in the Hebrew, there are many words for God in the Old Testament. Um, you have El Shaddai, which we often translate as Almighty. We have Yahweh, which is translated as Lord. We have all sorts of other names for God in the Hebrew. But the one that's used here is particularly a very interesting word. And the word is Elohim. Now, Elohim is a very fascinating word because the word is actually plural. Plural meaning more than one. 
And what's interesting is that as we, as we travel through this, we're going to see this in verse 26 and 27, that there is, there is a, an essence of plurality within who God is and an essence of singularity. You know, this is with the, the, the Christian word for this that's often used as either Godhead or, which we see quoted in, in the New Testament, that Paul uses that word in Romans chapter one. Another word that's not in the Bible itself, but that has often been used to talk about this is the Trinity. And what's amazing is that in this passage here, we see something that is super profound. First John chapter four, verse eight tells us that God is love. Now love by definition, the Greek word is agape, meaning other-centered love, acting in someone else's best long-term interest, even at personal sacrifice. Now, here's the question. If God is love and love is other-centered, what is necessary in the makeup of God? Others. Others, right? There must be more than one involved in this God family, so to speak, Um that's there. And I love this because right through this whole chapter, the word God is used many, many times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three times, I think it is. It might be twenty-four. I might have missed one. And in every instance in Genesis chapter one, the word is Elohim. This is emphasizing God as as majesty, as king, as transcendent, right? As above and beyond humanity. And yet it also highlights the relational nature of who God is prior to there being anything else that he has created. And this is so profound because it tells us that God in himself is actually love. If God was a rigid singularity, meaning that God was only one being instead of these three beings that are so closely united that it's as if they are one being, one entity. If not for that relational closeness, then you couldn't say that God's most inherent attribute was love. You could say it was power. Absolutely. You could say it was something else, but you couldn't say it was love. Mm. But I love this because we see it confirmed right here from the beginning. God is relational. Isn't that cool? It's so cool. Sorry, that was a little bit like philosophical and theological, but hopefully that's beneficial Such to somebody. Me. Now, I love this. In the beginning, God, and what's the word after that? Created. Created. So God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, I love this because like, it's just highlighting. We are not accidental, random mutations. We have purpose because we were not randomly coming out from somewhere. We were created with design. We were intentionally, purposefully made. And that's right inherent from the beginning. And I love this because throughout Scripture there are numerous reasons that we are given to worship God. But the one that is primary above all other things is that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. We worship the one who has made us. And I love this. Awesome. There's so many more things that could be said there. But anything else jump out to you in that first two verses? Dun, dun, dun. I think the, uh, the state of the earth is interesting, that it's mm-hmm. formless and it's empty and it's dark, um, covered in deep waters. And then you've got this spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Yeah, what's the picture that comes to your mind when you read that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters? A picture that comes to mind, man, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at an ocean and, uh, and this like beacon of light. And I'm imagining like myself there, but I'm almost like drowning yeah. <laughs> like, and that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah. It sounds a little chaotic, doesn't it? Mm. Right. When you read the creation story, God creates 
And what we're going to see is that throughout this process, there's, there's this real pattern of God creating and then bringing order. Mm. And we see that, that take place throughout this creation narrative here. One thing that's really cool about what you've brought up, this hovering statement, is that the word in the Hebrew there, and I won't bother you with what it is, but it only appears two times in the entirety of the Old Testament. Really? Two times. The only other place it appears is Deuteronomy 32 verse 11. Now, Deuteronomy 32, verse 11 is very interesting. God is talking to his people, and he says something very interesting. He says, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, speaking of God's people, speaking of Moses, um, and there was no foreign God with him. Check this out. When an eagle soars... With its young that cannot yet fly, it lifts them up. It supports them as they're learning to fly by hovering over the nest to protect them, but also then to lift them up on its own wings. And that's the same word that's used here. And what's beautiful about this is that it's saying that in the creation, God is not just transcendent. Right? It says, in the beginning, God was there. Then it also mentions specifically the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present. And hovering over the earth, hovering over the creation with the same parental care that an eagle looks after its young in the nest before they can learn to fly. Mm -hmm. God is tenderly, carefully overlooking this process of creation. And then in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1, it continues. And then I'm going to make a reference here to a passage in Scripture after that. Let's read the next, the next thing. Let's read verse 3. Well, let's read verse 3 through 5. 3 through 5 says this, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. All right, so what is the first thing that God does in this verse? He establishes a... Um, oh, too, too far. You're jumping nope. too far ahead. Well, he said something. He said, right? Okay, this is powerful, man. God speaks, and what happens? Light. Right? So God speaks. He makes something a command, happens. and yeah. something takes place. Physics, etc. That's right. God's word is incredibly powerful. Mm. What's also amazing is that in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says that in the beginning was God... Right In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Excuse me. Um, I love this. It, then later on in John, John chapter 1, verse 14, says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and tells us that His name is Jesus Christ. God is present, and all three uh, characters of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are present here in this picture. In the beginning, God, and the Spirit of God, and then God speaks and it says in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, that Jesus created all things. Yep. The Word was made flesh. That Word that brought everything into existence was Jesus Christ himself. And so we see this, this, this relational aspect of God, this plurality within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit is present right here in the whole creation narrative. And that's what John's talking about when he makes that statement. He's saying, Jesus is the maker. Mm-hmm. He's part of that divine family, so to speak, that is so united, so together in character and likeness and form that it's as if it's one being, one entity. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. All right, cool. So day one, what takes place day one? God establishes light and separates darkness and he gives a day-night cycle. I love this, right? And what's the day-night cycle happen? What's what's first, day or evening? Uh, it'd be day. Hmm? I'd imagine. 
What does it tell us there? It says there was evening and there was morning. Oh, okay. And the first day. I just figured there was light. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, right? And th- there's a lot of cool stuff that could be said about this, but it's very fascinating. There's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars yet, but God brings light. It's very interesting that in Revelation, when God recreates the world, it says that God and the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, are the light of the world, and there's no need of the sun in the recreation because God himself is their light. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? All right, so day one, God creates light. He separates light from darkness. He creates the day-night cycle or the night-day cycle. It says evening and morning, day one. All right, let's read verse 6 through verse 8. 6 states this. Then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and the evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Awesome. So what does God do on the second day? There's a uh, a space um, with atmosphere and sky, uh, what we call it there, and then there's also um, the waters, which imagine would be the, the oceans. I love it. So you've got this picture, right? Let's get this picture in our mind. God creates the heavens and the earth. He speaks, and light comes. And when the light comes, and you've got day and night, the world is just this big watery mass. Yep. Chaos, right? It's not. It's not brought into order just yet. It's there. Mm. And so he's got this situation where this this world is 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 formed, and then now he says, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna start working this thing." And what does he do? He divides or separates the waters from the waters. It says, "Right, the waters that are the the seas, the waters that are the ocean, from the water that becomes the vault of the sky." Which is actually just occurring to me is, is a really incredible supernatural thing because what you've got in space is water and it's obviously going to have gravity and you've got tension and so it makes sense that it's this formless kind of mess, a spherical thing. Blob, but so to, to speak. <laughs> but, to, but to be able to take water and to separate it, because you, you've seen water tension before, right? Yep. To be able to separate that and, and still have that, have that, the two layers there is just a, a, a God thing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And so God creates the sky. But I want you to take notice. He separated light from darkness, day one. Day two, he separates water from water, creating sky and the seas, right? Or at this point, probably just the giant ocean that is the whole planet, the watery planet. All right, so there's day two. Now let's go to day three, verse nine through ten. Nine says this, Then God said, Let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. God called the dry ground land, and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Oh, we'll pause there for a sec, actually. We're going to have a break here in a moment. But I love this. One last thing before we take the break is that God said it was good. God said that it was good. And I love this. God looks at all these aspects of creation, and they're good, they're good, they're good. This is Carter and Carter, somebody bigger than you and I. Somebody bigger than you 
night Who makes the flowers bloom in the spring Who writes the song for the robin to sing And who sends the rain when the earth is dry Somebody bigger than you and I He likes the way when the road is long He keeps you company And with his love to guide you Beside you Just like He walks with me When I am weary Filled with despair Who gives me courage To go on from there And who gives me faith That will never die Somebody bigger than you and I Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Brian. You're listening to Faith FM Radio, and we are stoked to have you along with us as we journey our through our study of Genesis chapter 1. Just want to do another plug for our question of the week. It's one of our favorite parts of the show. Love to hear from you guys and to interact with the questions that you have that are relevant in your life. And uh, we just want to encourage you to call in with those questions. No questions too big or too small to be asked. Um, and we'll do our best to answer those from Scripture. Uh, you can do that by calling in. 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669. Nice. And the first person who calls in is going to receive a free copy of a DVD about the Cambrian explosion in the fossil record. And uh, the first person who calls in again is going to get a free copy of that, going to be able to learn all about what's going on there and what does that tell us about creation versus evolution. So if you're interested in that, please call in and give us a question. All right, now we're jumping back into Genesis chapter 1, and Brian's just finished reading for us verses 9 and 10. So day 3, something takes place. What takes place on day 3 so far? We've got 
uh, water um, and dry land appearing out of that water and turning into seas. And then we just started with the land spreading vegetation. All right, so let's continue there. And it, okay, it says this. God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees, with seed-bearing fruit. Their seed produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And 13. 13. Turn the page here. And it says this. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Awesome. All right. So day three, God has got a big watery earth. He's got a sky that he's made. There's day and there's night. And God is now separating the land that is underneath the water from the water itself, and he creates by dividing these two things, separating the land from the waters, the the earth that we live on, the continental you know, spaces that we live on, and the waters themselves. This is super profound what's going on in these three days. It's fascinating. We're going to find something here in a moment. And it's kind of hard to communicate just verbally. It's, it's better if you can see a picture. But I just, I just invite all the listeners, just if, if you're listening, I just want you to think about this picture. There's an order that God does in creation that is very profound. Day one, he creates a canvas, right? Day two, he creates a canvas, right? He cre- he, and what do I mean by that? So day one, there's night, there's day. There's a there's a, a night period, there's a day period. It's a canvas upon which he can now fill with other things. Day two, he separates the waters from the waters. There's now sky and ocean, and he's now got a canvas upon which to work. Day three, he separates land from water, and now there's another canvas for him to fill. He puts some plants on that canvas, and now we've got kind of the canvas of the land, kind of dotted with trees, it seems, and it's ready to be filled with other life. And on the days four, five, and six, what we're going to find is that God then goes back and in the sequential order starts to fill those canvases with things. And it's it's an amazing idea. God separates in order to fill. God divides in order to complete. And I love this picture. So let's find out what happens on day four. Starting with Genesis 1, verse 14. Verse 14. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. God made two great lights, the larger ones to govern the day, and the smaller ones to govern the night. He also made the stars. (laughs) He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Awesome. So how does what does God say when he sees it? He said it was good. Yeah, God sees and it was good. And we see this repeated over and over and over again. And, and this is helpful because we're going to find something next week. We're going to find the first place in the Bible where God says something is not good, and it's in contrast to all of this. Mm. So keep that in your mind. So God creates and it's good. So day four, what does he make? He was able to establish that uh, these lights and stars, basically the, the galaxy, the universe. That's right. So sun, moon, and stars. So God creates the canvas of daytime and nighttime, and then he fills nighttime with the moon and the stars, and he fills daytime with the sun. And I love this picture. God has created a canvas, and now he's filling it. He's bringing it to completion. All right. Beautiful. Something else that's interesting to note here is that God establishes the days, the seasons, all from the very beginning. And I love that. 
there's an order to which God has created things to operate, and it's an incredibly tight system. Um, it's really fascinating to think, to look at what's called the fine tuning of the universe and to look how if the earth was just this little bit closer to the sun, no life could exist. If we were just this tiny, tiny little bit further from the sun, life could not exist. God places the earth in the exact location that he needs it to be to have the right amount of sunlight reaching it so that it doesn't cook the planet and it also doesn't freeze. And God has this set, this whole system set up, and that's just the world. It's insane. It's just unbelievably mind-boggling, the fine-tuning of the universe, that everything had to be exactly right for these things to exist the way that they do, or there would be no life. Mm-hmm. And God does that. And now we're about to start looking at the complexity of life becoming the lives that are created of animals. So let's jump into day five. What does day five say? Well, starting in verse 20. Then God said, let waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Awesome. So what jumps out at you? Anything stick out to you in that little passage? There's been something that's been jumping at me a few times in a couple of these passages, and it's just the after the same kind. After the same kind. Why does that? Why do you find that interesting, Brian? I find it interesting because it establishes that this bird is going to produce the same offspring, the same offspring, and in uh, very slight variations. But we're not seeing uh, just like this plug-in that we've been plugging earlier with this Cambrian explosion. We're not seeing these changes and and. Uh, transitional phases into into various species of, of animals. Yeah, so so let's put that into a little bit more layman speak for people like me. So we've got different kinds. So for example, God did not create on the when he creates all of these fish and all of the whales and all of the birds and he didn't create all of the ones that we see today on that day, right? He created the whale kind. The ancestor that all whales come from come from one type of whale that God created, a male and a female, because that's how they reproduce. And from that, we have all of this differentiation of different types of whales. Let me use a clearer example. It's more close to home for those of us who are not like marine biologists or something. So dogs. Think about dogs, for example. Super simple. How many varieties of dogs are? You're a dog lover, Brian. I know that. I love dogs, but there's so many, and they're constantly making more. Right? So you've got chihuahuas. You've got pit bulls. You've got Dalmatians. You've got... Um, Yeah, all sorts of things, right? Now, the crazy thing is we have an incredible amount of variation within the dog kind. Canines. Canines. I don't know. Is that species? I'm not real good on that stuff. Anyway, we'll go with the, the, the canine kind. Now, what's interesting is that all of that variation that takes place only takes place when they interbreed with the same kind of animal, that is, other canines. So we can get all sorts of genetic variation within the kind, but what we don't ever see is the crossbreeding of two different kinds, the crossbreeding of, say, a dog with a cat. The canine kind does not interbreed with the feline kind. They don't, they don't make any offspring. It's, it doesn't work. And so what we see here is that God has not created every animal that we see today was not there at creation. In fact, most of them perhaps were not there because many of the kinds of the ancestors that they go back to perhaps have gone extinct by this time. But what's amazing is that God created in the cellular systems, in the genetic makeup, the DNA of these kinds of animals, the very fabric for which all of the variation within the kind itself 
it happens. And it's amazing. It's just amazing that God has created it in such a way that all of the information that's necessary for all of that to take place is written in the DNA of each of these kinds of animals. It's amazing. There are kinds of plants as well. And so we see that variation happening in uh, uh, day three as well. It's just, it's fascinating, isn't it? Super cool. And you see that actually as a side note. We're going to talk about that when we get to the flood in Genesis chapter 6. We see that same principle coming back to the play. All right. So day five, God has now filled the canvases of the sky and the waters. So day one, night and day. Day four, fill the night and the day with the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day two, God creates water and sky. Day five, he fills the water and the sky with animals. Day three, he creates the land and the trees upon it. And what's going to happen in day six? What's he going to fill the land with? So let's continue, and we're going to read from verse 24 through 25. If you guessed it's the mammals and humans and et cetera, you're yep. going to be close. You're on to it. You're on to the land. <laughs> 24, then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. So God creates all of this stuff. He's got all of these kinds of animal, big animals, small animals, the reptiles, the amphibians, all sorts, man. Insects and arachnids and all these different kinds of animals. And he fills the earth with all of these things. And he looks and he says, it's good. But is God done yet? No. He's not done yet. Because he's got all of this amazing creation and all of these wonderful things, and yet there's something missing. Mm. And we're going to find out what that is as we read the next passage. So let's read verse 26. 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in the earth, and small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Awesome. Let's pause there for a moment. Check this out. This is one of the coolest passages in all of Scripture. It is foundational, and it's foundational for so many reasons. What does God crown his last day of creating with? Humans. Humanity. And what's amazing is what he says here. So, so God says, first of all, let us mm. make man. Now, by the way, the, the word there, man, is the word for mankind. Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Question. Us, our, our. Is that singular or is that plural? My English teacher would say plural. Plural. So it's more than one, right? So God speaks and says to the other members of the Godhead, let us make mankind in our image in the image of God, let us make them, right? Let's, according to our likeness. So God is making humanity in the very image of God. What in the world does that mean? But before we answer that question, let's go to verse 27. It said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And here we see that singular picture of God happening as well. It's kind of like this. So I married my wife, Caitlin, and before that, she was Caitlin Waite. I was Robert Morgan. And now we are married and we are together, the Morgans, right? That's our name. 
And so we are the Morgan family. And one day, God willing, we'll have offspring and they'll have Morgan as their surname, right? And this is kind of the, I think, the best way to think about this whole idea of God being more than one and yet God being one. God is made up of three divine persons who are so united that they've got, they're a family, right? Mm. Their characters are so exactly alike. They're all selflessly serving the others in the Godhead. And I love this picture because it's like you've kind of got this picture of the divine family. And so God is kind of like Elohim's almost like the surname of the family, right? I love that picture. So think about this. In what way are we made in the image of God? Is God, does God just have like a face and a nose and a physical body and we're made physically to look like him? Well, that's not really the point because we know that God is able to be everywhere. There's nowhere that we can go from him. Etc. Etc. So all of those things are kind of like moot questions. Is God a man? Is God a woman? Is, like, all of that stuff is irrelevant. When what way are we made in the image of God? Any thoughts? Well, we do know that Jesus expressly had to be, you know, be made into flesh, and so we know that he differs from us. But his own image that might have to do with maybe that relational aspect mm. that between them, you know, these between these all powerful things that are all getting along and united. Um, we are built for the capacity with that re- kind of relational aspect. I love it. We're built with this relational intent, right? And not only that, we're, we're sentient. In, in other words, we, we have an awareness uh, to think and to reason mm. in a way that other the other animals within the animal kingdom don't have that same sense that we do. All right, we're going to take a break here. This is Fernando Ortega, Creation Song. Himself in light as with a garment, he spreads out the heavens and walks on the wings of the wind. He sends forth the springs from the valleys, they flow between mountains. The birds of the air dwell by the waters. Lifting their voices in song Singing
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Brian. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and uh, we're up to our last section for our Bible study portion of the show. And uh, there's still time, still time for you to get your questions in. We would love to hear from you. Do you have any questions that you would like us to look at about God or the Bible or spirituality, etc., or creation? We would love to hear from you. And the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of Darwin's Dilemma, a DVD exploring the fossil record and how do we explain and understand the controversial debate that's still happening today among scientists about the, what's called the Cambrian explosion in the fossil record? So if you are the first caller in with a question, you can receive that for free today. And you can do so by calling 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Or by texting 491 064 Awesome. All right. So we've just gotten to, I think, the most exciting part of the creation narrative. This is where it gets really exciting to me. So God says, let us make man in our image. So we just spoke about how the relational aspect of humanity is one of the ways in which we are made in the image of God. And there's there's a sense in which all of creation is made in God's image in the sense that everything reflects its maker, right? Like if you will look at a painting and you go, oh, man, that's a Picasso you're seeing aspects of the of the artist who made it, and we see that in in creation. We see senses of order and beauty and process and all of these amazing things that point to the to the characteristics of God. But there's a real sense in which humanity, man and woman, the family unit, all of these things really reflect the image of God in a special way. Number one, the way the family works relationally. Is, is fascinating. It's beautiful. When you have two people join, oh, if you have a single person alone with no one else, love cannot exist. So there has to be more than one. So you've got man and woman created here. Eventually they're going to create family. And so their other centered love brings forth life. That tells us something about God. God is other centered and he desired to bring forth life that there may be others to shower his selfless love on. He was you know, he was sufficient within, within the Godhead to not need that, but desires to do that of his own volition. I love it. It's beautiful. What other ways are we made in the image of God? Well, we have knowledge. We have the ability to be self-aware and to be aware of spiritual things and reason and knowledge. All of these things, wisdom, these are things that are unique to sentient beings of which scripture tells us there are angels um, there are fallen angels that have given into sin but they're also humanity like human beings and we are made in the image of God in a very special way to reflect his image and I think it's just so beautiful and profound and something else that's really beautiful and profound here is that he creates them in a particular way he creates them with you know gender differentiation male and female to be equal right to be equal, but to also have different functions. So, for example, a father and a mother have different function. The, the male gives the sperm, but the woman's body is the one that creates life, you know, that joins those two things together. She's the one who carries life, I should say. That's a better way to say it. And so there's different functions. Um, and it's just beautiful the way that God has created this to take place. It's powerful. But I love this. God then goes on and begins to bless humanity. So let's read the next verse. Let's just read verse 28. This is where it gets super exciting for me. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. 
Oh, I love this. Okay, check this out, man. There is a super profound point that I want to make. Not profound because it's a point that I came up with, but profound because it's profound in and of itself. Check this out. Design infers purpose. Yes. We, we see that the way something is designed to function tells us something about its purpose, its reason for existence. We are made in the image of God. What are we made for? We're made to reflect God's image in some profound ways. And what is God's blessing here? He says, be fruitful and multiply. The first blessing that God gives to humanity is one of relational impact, right? We were designed to function relationally. He also outlines the sexual ethic, right? The, the design tells us a lot about how our relationships, and particularly romantic relationships, are supposed to function in the way that he is designed. Heterosexual monogamy is, is highlighted here, a level of equality that's taking place in this space. In a perfect world, the perfect design is this family unit. And from that is where we get the entire family unit. And the family unit is the bedrock of all human society. The, the, all societies that have, that have, uh, flourished have recognized and protected at some level the sanctity of the family unit because the family unit is without families, you don't have a future generation, you no longer have humanity, right? Correct. But we see this outlined the way it's made to operate right here in the beginning. Now, this is not to say that if you've come from a position where that hasn't been upheld wholly that, you know, you're doomed to failure and there's none of, no. We, we live in a, a fallen, broken world, and there are problems that we have to navigate, and we're not all born into that perfect picture. In fact, none of us are born into a perfect picture, even if they're following that design. But it tells us something about how we are designed to function, a part of our purpose. And I love this because it outlines the importance of family. And this is not to say that if you're a single person or you were unable to bear children or something of that nature that you are incapable of reflecting God's image. That's all nonsense. But what's really profound here is that God creates this sexual ethic right at the beginning, and it's the very first blessing that he gives them. He blesses them and says, this is, he says, essentially, foster relationships and foster them this way. Isn't that cool? I love it. He's, you know, the, the Bible talks a lot about sexual ethics all throughout, and it's incredibly, it's, it's a very high sexual ethic, and it's difference, it, it's, it differs from most other sexual ethics in the world, but it highlights the reason comes back to the design. If you want to flourish and have the healthiest life and the most healthy, sound relationships, follow the biblical pattern. It's amazing. doesn't obviously guarantee that if you're in a heterosexual monogamous relationship that you're going to have everything perfect, by the way. <laughs> All right, so check that out. And then he says this, have dominion. Point number two, he says you are to be the stewards or the managers of this planet. God says, I've made all this. Here, you take care of it. And I love this because how is, how is a good king supposed to have dominion over his people? Is he supposed to take advantage of them and control them for his own gain? What's he supposed to do? He provides for them. He provides for them. He cares for them. He provides structure in order to help them to flourish. And this is the same way that God designs humanity in terms of a role over the planet. There's even wilderness described in the creation story. There's a garden that, that he places man in. We're going to find out next week about that, the Garden of Eden. But there's also, there's also a wild world and, and man is placed into that space to bring dominion and to, to craft 
organization and structure and to make it even more beautiful, right? It's, it's amazing that we're given this, this ability to look after the planet. And that's right there from the beginning in a perfect world. These are God's mandates to humanity. Isn't that cool? All right, let's read on from verse 29 through 31. Let's read the rest of day six. 29 says this. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked up over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the sixth day. I love that. All right. So day one, it's good. Day two, it's good. There's one of those days that I think it misses it, but doesn't mean it wasn't good, right? It's, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. He gets to day six. He's made the crowning act of creation, humanity, who's now to reflect his image in a very special way, to embody something about the character of God in a unique way on the planet, to act as the sovereigns over the planet and to care for it in a selfless way, the way that God cares for all of his creatures. We're supposed to be a picture pointing to God, the imago Dei, this it's called in, in the Latin, the image of God. And then he gets to the end of that, and what does he say about all of it? He looks over the whole thing and he says, it's not only good, it's... Very good. Very good. I love this. And so in six days, God creates the heavens and the earth, all the things that are in it. And it's such a beautiful story, such a beautiful, profound story with so many amazing implications. He then says, hey, this is what you're going to eat, right? And in a perfect world, it was basically like a fruitarian diet, right? Like you got fruits, grains, and seeds, it seems to be explained there. Now, here's a question that I have for you. If we can infer or understand our purpose as human beings from our design, at least to some extent, what are some things that we can take from this story? Because remember, this is before there is any evil in the world, before there is any sin. What can we take out of this and apply to our lives today? Like, think about this. What, what are some of the principles that are present in this story from God's original blessing on humanity that we could get back to? Because the reality is, the, the more closely we operate within design, the better things function, right? You don't put petrol into your diesel engine you don't put diesel into your petrol engine it's not great for the engine right if you want it to run smoothly you get back to the way it was designed to function so we're mm. learning something what are some of the things we can draw out of this i mean there's there's stuff here about relationships there's stuff here about how to treat animals there's stuff here about what you should eat um right so a plant-based diet the closer we get back to a plant-based diet generally the healthier we're going to be. In Genesis 3, we see the introduction of vegetables after the fall. So all of you guys out there who don't like your vegetables, you're like, I don't want to eat that stuff. Maybe in the new heavens and the new earth, you won't have to eat veggies no more. You can just do the fruit and the vegetable and the fruit and the grain, I should say. But yeah, that plant-based diet, getting back to a more plant-based diet is healthier because it's the way we're designed to function. Any more that you've got there? Did I, I feel like I cut you off. Oh no, you didn't cut me off. Um, I think that there was a there's a there's a curiosity there about um, how the animals are eating the same thing we are. Um, so just before they're given, oh, you've got dominion, but instead of you can't just take advantage of them or, or at your expense, you know, eat whatever you, whatever we want or or extras, etc. By the way, you're going to be eating the same food as the animals, and the people you've got dominion over, you're just eating the same thing, sort of, right? Because they were given some extra stuff too, all the green herbs. But yeah, you're right. There's a big crossover there. You're not you're not above in in that sense of 
you're above them, you're you're beyond them, but you're also you Let's have an affinity of, to them as well. Yeah. Now, why in the world would God not say just go eat all the animals? Well, you'd be eating all the animals. Like you'd be taking it away from 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 taking care of them. That's true. That's very true. And beyond that, there's no sin. Correct. And Scripture tells us that death comes as a result, a consequence of sin. And God did not create death to be a part of the picture. And so what we see here is this beautiful picture of a world without sin, a world that is good, very good, a world in which humanity is operating in accordance with divine principles or divine laws, you might say, operating and reflecting perfectly the image of God in a perfect world with a perfect maker and perfect people. And this picture is absolutely beautiful. Oh, it's, it's, it's stunning. It's, and what, it's yeah. paradise. Oh, it's amazing. Which is pretty much what Eden means, paradise or pleasure, right? That's how that word is often translated. Okay, so the creation story takes place six days, but it's not over yet. We're going to read Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, and watch the end of the creation story here. Chapter 2, verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. I love it. All right, so what does God do? He's, he's got day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Everything is good. It's very good. What's he going to do on day seven? Well, seven, he's resting. I love it's it. work, 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 and now he rests. I love this. Now, here's a question for you. Does God tire Impossible. Right? Does God get tired and need to have a nap? I don't think so, no. Right? The omnipotent one, the one mm. who is all-powerful, mm. he doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to do any of these things. He is the source of all life himself. He speaks, and things come into existence. God is not resting because he needs to, so therefore this rest must have other purposes. I think this purpose might tie into what we've been seeing throughout this whole chapter with uh, with the with the plural God and um, and with humanity there, and I think that has to do with the relational aspect. Mm, in what way? I think he's enjoying his creation. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. What we see here is we see what's what's called the Sabbath being introduced, the rest. God creates a weekly cycle. By the way, did you know that only recently scientists have discovered that the best way for humanity to operate to operate, excuse me, is on a 7-day weekly cycle of 6 days on, 1 day off. That's so cool. It's insane. They they've tried this historically they've tried 10-day work work weeks. They've tried 5-day work weeks. They've tried all these sorry, not work weeks, weeks, right? These cycles of 5 instead of the 7-day weekly cycle. There is no astronomical reason that we keep a seven-day weekly cycle, and there's no astronomical reason, meaning there's there's no reason in time and time, space yeah. that seems to give indication that a weekly cycle should be seven days, and yet that's the way humans operate most naturally. And it comes right back to the way God created us. We're going to take a break here, and we're going to come back for our question of the week just shortly after this. I cannot make a world and form it in my hands. I cannot make But I have a father, I have a father who can Now he sits high, he sits high and he looks, he low, looks low And he, he guides, guides my feet wherever I go oh, When 
I don't understand. When I don't understand. I have a father. I have a father. I have a father. Who cares? I have a father. Who cares? I cannot take a cloud of sin. That I will die. I cannot name the stars or count the grains of sand. But I have a father. I have a father who can. Now he sits high, he sits high and he looks he low, low, and he guides my feet wherever I go. I don't understand. When I don't understand. I have a father. I have a father. I have a father. I have a father. To Faith FM, positively different radio. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. God took six days and created Earth and moon and stars and sun Seven as they laid him in the grave. 
forsaken and forgotten, desecrated and profane. But the sacred fourth commandment is still valid and unchanged. Hear the Father gently calling, if you love me, keep each one. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Brian. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we hope that you guys have been learning some cool stuff from this first chapter and a little bit of chapter two of Genesis. I think there's a lot of profound things to be learned. So it's come that time for, uh, what, hey, what, what time is it? Oh, it makes me laugh every time. So welcome to our question of the week segment. So our question today is, <coughs> excuse me, a Sabbath-related question. And the Sabbath question is, how do we know that the Sabbath is still, the? sorry, how do we know which day is the seventh day of the week still? How do we know the calendars haven't changed? So, for example, um, Pope Gregory changed the calendar. We go by the Gregorian calendar now. And there are many people who postulate that, well, we don't know which day is actually the original seventh day. So a couple things to note on that. Uh, God revealed that seventh day again to Moses and to the Israelites, and they have kept it religiously, forgive the pun, um, <laughs> since uh, 1,500 years before Christ or so. And they are still keeping that same to the day, and we have that to check again. But also, with the Gregorian calendar change, the way that the calendar change worked, and Brian might be able to speak to this too, I don't know. Um, so what exactly did Pope Gregory do to the calendar? Well, before 1582, they were using the Julian calendar, and that had been in effect uh, since about 46 BC from Julius Caesar. But the Julian calendar had calculated the length of the year you know, like 11 minutes out. <laughs> which is pretty close but by the Smart time guy. by 1582 there were 10 days out on the calendar to where we were in our path around the sun now that does not mean that the day's order had changed but just which day of the month they wanted to to keep it in a certain cycle so when pope gregory changed the calendar what they did was it was thursday the 4th of october and the next day should have been friday the 5th of October, but what they did was they literally just changed the number of the date, and the next day was Friday, the 15th of October, instead of Friday, the 5th of October. So that's all the change that was made. So Friday came after Thursday, just like every Friday came after Thursday before that, followed by Saturday or the Sabbath, and um, that is the answer to that question. So we know that based off of the history of the Jews keeping it, and we know that the Gregorian calendar worked in that way. So the seventh day as we have it now on Saturday is the same seventh day as far back as history goes. So we're pretty accurate in knowing that. So that's a pretty helpful thing to know. Um, while we're talking about the Sabbath, great question. Um, 
it's just, I think it's fascinating to note a couple of things that I think are just super cool about the Sabbath. And I think this is powerful. Think about this. I read this. There's a great book um, on the Sabbath. It's called The Sabbath by um, Rabbi Abraham Heschel. And um, I don't agree with everything he says. He, he has some interesting quotations from some other Jewish writings that are not biblical. But he makes some amazing comments about the Sabbath. And one of those actually was quoted in the song that we just heard. And he calls the Sabbath a sanctuary in time. And the song called it a temple made in time. Now here's something amazing. Think about this. God in his wisdom set apart not, not a holy mountain, not a holy valley, not a holy country, not a holy state, not a holy place. But God sets aside in the creation week a Sabbath, a rest, a period of 24 hours from sunset to sunset. We see that explained through scripture from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, um, sunset on the sixth day to sunset on the seventh day. And what's amazing about that is that God doesn't create a holy place why is that so amazing? You might be asking, Robbie. Like, why, why does that matter? Why is it cool that God made a sanctuary of time rather than a physical sanctuary of place at the beginning? I mean, look at uh, this current pandemic we're in. You know, you can't leave and reach certain locations. That's right. If the holy, if you needed to go to a holy place every mm-hmm. seven days, and that was how God had designed it, and that holy place was, say, Jerusalem. Well, what happens if Jerusalem is taken over? And you are sent in exile to Babylon, as the Jews were, for a period of 70-odd years, right? Well, it depends on who of them. They were able to go back after 70 years, but some of them didn't go. Think about this. They were barred access to the holy place of the temple. But what were they not barred access to? Time. The 24-hour period of the Sabbath that came every week, week in, week out, week in, week out. Week in, week out. And I love this. God created a holy day. Because guess what? Whether or not you recognize the Sabbath, the Sabbath arrives in your life every week. The holy time where it's, it's like a slice of heaven that's essentially opened up for us to experience something of heaven right here on earth. And there is so much profound significance about the Sabbath. It's amazing. The Sabbath, and I love this, there's, there's a, one of my favorite musical artist is a man by the name of Josh Garrels, and he has this song called The Resistance. And in that song, he has a line, and the line says, Our rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. The Sabbath is a a period of time every week where we resist man's fallen, broken nature to our our obsessive, materialistic goals. I'm going to work, work, work. I'm going to build my kingdom. Every Seventh day, God says, no, 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 no. You rest from all of that. You rest from work. You rest from causing others to work so that you will trust that I will provide for you because I am the creator and I am ultimately responsible for providing for your needs. And so every week, the Sabbath is this reminder where we can step out of that space of I've got to work, I've got to build this house, I've got to do this thing, I've got to pay the bills. And we can set it all aside and say, hold on a moment. I, I know I've got to work, I've got to do all those things, but this day is a day of rest. A rest from not only physical labor, but psychological weariness. Where we can say, hey, I belong to God. And the beautiful thing about it being a day is it's a lot harder to take a day away from you than it is to take a place away from you. You can put up a fence and keep you out of a location, and you can keep them out with a gun, but you can't take the Sabbath away from me. right? You can try and force me to work, but I can refuse. And there may be consequences to that, but... 
I can enter into that Sabbath rest. No one can bar me from access to it, save my own choice. And this is the way that God creates this sanctuary. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's incredible. I just think it's super profound. And every week we have this opportunity to remember God as creator. Uh, And one of the things I think that it's just so brilliantly well designed, like there's so much thought put into it, is that it's one of the things that survives the fall. Like, it was designed before the fall of mankind. So good. And it still works. Like, the Garden of Eden, no, that, that's gone right now. You know, that's a location. It's you were barred access. Yeah. But this was designed, and so even in our fallen state, we can still have access to this. I love it. So profound. And if mankind needed, in a perfect world with no sin and no degradation, a day of rest mm-hmm. to connect with their maker and to connect with one another and to keep things in their proper order of importance. That relationship to God and to humanity is more important than some of the other things that we'd have to do. Then how much more important is the Sabbath rest to us now? Mm. And there's actually a movement of even secular people recognizing the need for a Sabbath rest. Anyway, sorry, this was, it wasn't really supposed to be a Sabbath Bible study particularly, but it just comes up. And I, I love that, um, what you were saying, Brian, that it's just so much more important now. Right, like it, this is one of the things that we see in the in the picture, and and there's a bunch of things. By the way, you know, as a Seventh Day Adventist follower of Jesus, as a Seventh Day Adventist Christian, I I you know people ask me a lot about the Sabbath because it's something that sets us apart as different than most Christian groups. But one thing that I think is also highly important here, and I think this is especially important for those who are part of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, is to note this. Sabbath was not the only thing that was here that was blessed in Eden that took place and was was commanded by God prior to the fall. God also commands sexual ethics, ethical sexuality, I should say. The family unit and the upholding of the family unit was also a part of what took place before the fall. And something that we have forgotten in our common secular society is to hold the sanctity of that union in high regard and to protect it fiercely, right? I don't mean to be violent when I say protect it fiercely, but I mean this. For example, did you know that in fatherless homes, the statistics of suicide and jail time of kids, it's insane, right? Now, this is not to, this is not to, to make people feel bad or to be bummed out, but the reality is that when you have a father figure absent from the home, the statistics show a dramatic increase in difficulties for those children. Now, this doesn't mean that you're you're not able to do that if you're a single mother or a family that doesn't have that opportunity. God will still provide, and he can do that for you. God can become the father that a child doesn't have. However, we as a society are watching the breakdown in the, of the fabric of our society because of the breakdown of the family unit in a huge way. But that's in the design. The design is right there. Ethical sexuality is present from the beginning of Scripture, and this is one of the reasons that it's highlighted so continuously throughout Scripture. And we are called to order our passions in accordance with God's design. That takes help. That takes assistance. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives. Other things, it also highlights the importance of getting back to a more plant-based diet as a helpful thing. So if you want to flourish the way God designed you, get back towards the design. You, Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you keep the principles of Sabbath and the sanctity of the family and the foods that God has designed to eat, you will find your life is blessed. 
right? You will find blessing in that, even if you don't accept the real truth that is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You will find that even if you're a secular person who chooses to disregard, you'll still find blessing in the things themselves because it's how you were designed to function. It's crazy, but it's true. And science backs that up now. And it's just amazing that that's backed up. Anyway, I'm preaching on a soapbox now about something that I'm pretty passionate about. So let's go on to some applications. What can we draw out of this story of creation? That's obviously a, an application point that the more that we get back to God's design, we're getting back to our purpose as humanity. And when we're operating in fulfillment of our purpose of existence to reflect the image of God by His grace, by His power alone, we are going to operate life much more um, at a higher level, right? We're going to be much more fulfilled if we're doing that. What are some other things? What do we can we draw out of this, Brian? Any thoughts? There were things we mentioned there before, uh, things we can draw out. Um, but one of the things that I find helpful for my inquiring mind is oftentimes knowing some of the sciences and establishing things um, in fact, and it helps shape my worldview and how I interpret things. And, um, and just understanding where we've come from, why we've come there, how we were created, um, and this whole process um, it brings meaning and purpose to my life um, and how I can interpret the world around me. It's huge. The fact that you can find your identity in a loving God who chose to make you is the defining factor of your life. If you don't have that, you you have to make sense and meaning of the world somehow. And what we see in the society around us is we see a huge push away from that in the Western world to say, now we want to do away with the fact, with, with the whole being made in the image of God. Why? Because it means that we have responsibilities then. And people don't want liberty. They want license. License is to do whatever I want, no matter what, and try to not get the consequences. Liberty, freedom, is operating within the boundaries of your design. A fish does not operate healthily when it jumps out of the water. It's free to do a lot of things, but there are limitations. And true freedom comes from operating as closely to the design as possible. You want your engine to work well, you operate it in accordance with the, with the manual. And the same is true of us. If we really want to flourish in life, we need to know that our purpose is rooted in the, in, in the way that the, that the maker of the universe has designed us. And not only in, in terms of practical, physical things of what to do, what not to do, but also in the sense of meaning. I matter because God chose to make me. Mm. God loves me. Now, if you can realize that and know that God made you with intentions and purpose, he designed you. Yeah, we've got flaws. We're in a broken world, but God loves you. He chose you. He designed you. And he has come in the form of human flesh to die on your behalf and to give you life now and through eternity. That fact, when you know that, that is a game changer that will change the rest of your life and the direction of it. You can have a purpose and a fulfillment in life that no one else can touch. If you are resting firmly on that belief, if you know that God loves you and God made you and he's got a purpose for you and, a, and he's got a call for you and he loves you and he's got a way of redemption for you, you can, you can withstand almost anything. Viktor Frankl said in his famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, man can live with all, if man has a why to live, in other words, a purpose to live, if you know why you exist, he says, man, if man has a why to live, he can deal with almost any how. In other words, I can go through any difficult circumstance if I have the sense of divine purpose in my life that God has made me and called me and I, I exist for a reason, then I can deal with almost any difficulty. 
It's powerful stuff, man. Well, we've come to the end of our time. I hope that it's beneficial to you. May God bless you and keep you. And uh, join us next week as we explore Genesis chapter 2, which goes through a second creation account. It talks about the second version of the story. It gives us more details. Hit us up and remember that real faith is lived faith. <laughs>